We have time for maybe a few questions. Yes. What would it, the miracle of the sun would have been far greater. See, in other words, that opposition caused the miracle to be diminished. See, the, like the lack of faith, the resistance causes the grace of God to be held back. Okay. Yes. Sure. You know, they're talking, many people losing their faith, the faith is growing weaker and so on. Um, And the new evangelization is to try to get them back. In fact, the new evangelization is aimed at Christian countries, so-called Christian countries, where the faith has become decadent or almost dead, to revive it. The Pope sees we need a new evangelization. But without spiritual power, the new evangelization is not going to make it. Even the Pope said we need to pray. And Our Lady has told us, this is the way to conversions. See, her whole plan is conversions because the peace of the world depends on the conversions of sinners. She said, this is the way she put it in July. She said, in the end, the Pope will consecrate Russia to my immaculate heart. Many souls will will be converted and an era of peace will be given to the world. So that era of peace... We call that the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. She said, she spoke about that. She spoke in terms of triumph of my Immaculate Heart. It's going to come. That's why the Pope said this prophetic message of Fatima is not over. It can't end until we have the, the triumph, you know. And it will come more quickly the more we do penance and prayer for offer reparation for sin. See, remember, one of the things Bishop Sheen used to talk about, maybe those of you who are familiar with Bishop Sheen would remember this. He used to make a comparison between the East and the West, okay? In the West, I mean Christianity and the Western nations, Western Europe and uh, America and so on. He used to say, we have Christ, but no cross. We have no discipline, no self-denial, no dedication to a cause, he said, we, do, we don't have any zeal. And he said, Christ without a cross, he says, cannot save anybody. In the East, under communism, dictatorships, they have a cross. They have discipline. They have dedication to a cause. The communists were very dedicated, see, but they have no Christ. So he used to say, will they find Christ, because they already have the cross, before we find the cross, because we already have Christ? And he said, they will find it first. And Pope John Paul, at at one time having breakfast with a number of bishops, asked them, where will the spiritual thrust of renewal come from? He said, it's going to come out of Russia. See, what I think is happening, I don't know whether you've been up on a lot of these things. Remember, the president of Russia just came to see the Pope two, two or three weeks ago. Did you know that? The president of Russia. And uh, he... He must have invited the Pope to go to Russia. You know why Pope said to the, the Pope said to the newspaper people, he said, um, he said, I think I've got to study Russian. Now he's not going to study Russian to talk to anybody in the Vatican. You know, he's, he, you know, I I suspect this. I suspect that um, the faith is going to grow again in Russia. Okay, 
we know it's growing. They, they already have this, – this president established about two years ago a day in Russia to celebrate the coming of Christianity to Russia. Okay? You think we could get that in America here? Boop, boop. Forget it. Hmm? Right? Then he also, this past, past year, ordered that in the schools, Russian orthodoxy is to be taught to the children. There has to be something about morality. The Muslim children can learn about their faith, but there has to be something about morality. So their religion is being taught in their public school. You think we can get that? No. That's why the faith is coming alive. Now, in the city, uh, do you ever hear of Kazan? Uh, Kazan, Our Lady of Kazan. Uh, let me share with you, because this is uh, kind of interesting, and I think it will cast light on what, what, what I've been saying here. Um, Kazan is a city in Russia about a, uh, an hour's flight from Moscow going further east. Don't go there in the winter. The lady told them it was 115 degrees below zero in the winter. And then she said, for my consolation, uh, Siberia was 125 degrees below zero. So, you know. Um, so anyway, Kazan is um, where a very important icon. In fact, it's considered the only miraculous icon in Russia. And they got billions of them. You know, what happened was, when the faith came to Russia, this artist made this icon. Okay, it's an icon of the Blessed Mother with the Christ child. It's covered over with gold and gems and everything. Now, when the Tartars came and conquered the city of Kazan, they were Muslims. So they buried that that icon in the ground, okay? 300 years later, Ivan the Terrible, Russian, you know, czar, came and he defeated the Tartars, freed the city, and allowed, you know, orthodoxy to be practiced there. After that, the Blessed Mother, either in a dream or an apparition, I don't know what, told this little girl where to dig for the icon and get the authorities, the civil authorities and religious authorities. They wouldn't do it. They figured this is a prank by this little kid. So she dug for it. She got people to dig with her, and they found it. Now, there were two blind women there. When they took that icon out, they touched both of them with the icon. They both received their sight immediately. The priest who was there became the patriarch of, of Moscow. He declared that icon miraculous. Now, when the communists took over in 1917... Kazan had about 70 churches. After they got done with it, and there was one left. That's how methodically they destroyed religion. Everything. Every, even the, even the, the, the uh, what do you call it? The mosques for the Muslims. All religion had to go. And um, so what the Russian people did, they smuggled that icon out of Russia because the communists would have destroyed it. See? It ended up in the possession of the Blue Army. A group of uh, Russians wanted to get it, but they couldn't afford it. It was about $3 million in the 1950s, and that's a lot of money. Today it would be about $15 million, something like that. And uh, they didn't have the money, so the, the Blue Army bought it. The Blue Army then gave, they had it for 30 years at their hotel in Fatima called Domus Pachis. They have a Russian chapel. They sent it to Pope John Paul II because he kept saying he wanted to go to Russia. Pope John Paul had it in his apartment in the Vatican. He had the icon of Our Lady of Kazan, the, the Orthodox icon, and he had the image of Our Lady of Częstochowa from his own Poland, east and west. And you remember when he said 
He said the church is like a person. We've got two lungs. We've got east and west, and we need both of them. His hope was to go to Russia to bring the icon back. But when he never got the invitation, he sent it back. And I went there. I went there on the first pilgrimage sponsored by the World Apostolate of Fatima because they were instrumental in helping get the icon back to Kazan. And when we got there, the, the head of Kazan, the, the, gov- the, the mayor, is a Muslim. And he was thrilled with the, the Christians coming to venerate the, the icon. There's great peace. About 60% of the people are Christians, 40% are Muslims. And yet there's peace between them. And they all venerate the icon. Even the Muslims venerate it. So what this man did, he, since my visit, I've been there about four years ago, he's built a new Orthodox church. He built a Roman Catholic church because the, the, the guy from the World Apostle of Fatima told the, the mayor, you're going to have a lot of Roman Catholics who want their own church. He built a beautiful church. They had a little tiny, little, much, not much bigger than a shack was their church previously when I was there. Beautiful church he built. And, um, and, and the Christian, and the people are coming. And, the, and when I was there, the Muslim women were going up to venerate the icon as well as the Christians, you know. So Mary's doing something. And one of the people in our pilgrimage when we were in Russia, she asked this Russian priest, she says, what does it mean to you to have the icon of Kazan back in Russia? He said, it means that the faith can now once again spread in Russia, flourish in Russia. So that icon is so important to these people. All right. So great things are happening. But the more we pray and the more we offer sacrifices, as Our Lady asked, it will spread the conversion and will renew our church here in America. We need a renewal. You know, we need to revive the church. And it only can come with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Yes. It could be, yes. It certainly could be. Uh, it's a very good thing. You know, uh, it's a very good point you bring up. Fatima, the name Fatima, was the name of Muhammad's first and favorite daughter. So it's a Muslim name. And um, Bishop Sheen used to say, you got to believe that the Blessed Mother did not come down out of heaven to the only city in all of Portugal with a Muslim name just to convert Russia. He said, unless we have the conversion of hundreds of millions of Muslims, there'll never be world peace. And you can see he was right, you know, terrorism and so on. What's happening in their world right now? Isn't it strange? All that began in in, uh, Egypt, right? All that turmoil. Two weeks before, the Blessed Mother was seen over the church, the Coptic Christian church in Egypt. Two weeks before all that turmoil started. She's been appearing there for several years. They've seen her. They're actually, the, <laughs> the Muslims are shooting at her, you know. <laughs> I don't think it bothered her. No, she, <laughs> um, ooh, but, but, you know, see, the, the conversion of Islam uh, and the, the conversion of communism is um, a focal point. See, but we have, we have our own brand of communism in America now. And it's against life, you know, with abortion and so on. And this is why we can't, you're not going to drive it out politically alone. You've got to use, yes, you've got to use the political means that we can. But it's not politics. 
It's not military. It's not financial. It's prayer. Because prayer changes hearts. I can't, I, I don't know, I can't change somebody's heart. But I know who can. If I offer prayers, see the whole thing of offering reparation is to make up for their sins. And when, when God is offended, we can't have peace. And God wants, and Blessed Mother came to ask us, pray for these people who are not praying for themselves. So you pray that little pardon prayer. My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love you, and I beg pardon for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love you. And you know, if you practice that little sacrifice prayer, you know, Jesus, I offer this as a sacrifice. This is for love of you, for the conversion of sinners, reparation for the offenses against the Immaculate Heart. If you do that through the day a few times, you know, your, your union with Jesus is going to grow. And that's how you grow spiritually. You know, that deeper union with Christ, doing, every, you know, doing the Father's will. See, four things, okay? Sacrifice, which you freely offer up. Sufferings that you accept, as Our Lady asked the children, when you accept sufferings from God. Um, intercession, so you pray for people, okay? And finally, reparation. You offer your love, your, your, all of these sacrifices and all that you do to make up for those who are not turning away from their sins. You make up for them, and the God will give them the grace, maybe, to convert them, okay? So we need to do this to hold the hand of God back from punishing the world. See, when he sees, remember the reading today at Mass when God was going to punish his people for their golden calf, remember? And he says to Moses, leave me alone. Imagine, it's almost like Moses put his arms around God saying, no, don't do anything. Don't harm your people. <laughs> Intercession, see, for the conversion of sinners is what will bring that ultimate peace in the world. Okay. I mean, I don't know if there's any last questions. I'll try to mar- uh, sign a few more books. And then, yes, yes. Okay. That's right. That's a good point. Yes, yes. They, they're going to make it. It's not that we shouldn't help them, but the ones who really desperately need it are the ones who are in danger of going to hell. Yeah. You know, very good. Good point. You had a, a question? Well, that's what they think it may have, you know, to see Christ. Since the other three, the Our Lady and all three of them were representing mysteries of the rosary, how come Christ was different? With St. Joseph and the Christ child, there was all the joyful mysteries there. So Christ as a young man, um, you know, I, 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 I... No, no, not that we shouldn't pray it. Pope John Paul canonized someone from Malta, and he was a priest who was promoting those. He changed them a little bit. But he said it was missing. <clears throat> you know, we went right from the, the birth of Jesus <clears throat> to his death. We missed his life. And that's a beautiful thing to have. And it, he called them mysteries of light because in each of those mysteries, you'll find something of Jesus revealing himself or being revealed by the Father at his baptism. This is my beloved son. 
at the wedding feast of Cana, he were, he, St. John tells us he worked this miracle. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Later on the transfiguration, his glory comes out and the Eucharist, he shows himself as the bread of life. Yeah, they, They're very beautiful mysteries. Well, you know, some people, they got to... Sometimes they get a thing in their head or they hear it from somebody. But if you try to tell them, try to say it. You know, after all, they are mysteries in the Eucharist. They're mysteries in the gospel. Yeah, yeah, they are. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't... See, remember, in the beginning, the mysteries had to be put together. That was a lot to do to a blessed Alan LaRoche, who I think gave us the mysteries of the joyful, sorrowful, and, and glorious mysteries the way we have them. And he was 1,500. So it doesn't mean that we can't add something. The Pope, you know, he, he was encouraging us to pray the rosary. And we, we certainly need encouragement in our adult life. The, the mysteries show us Jesus in his adult life. Young adult. Okay. Yeah, we've got one more here. Okay. That's right. That's right. Yes. It, her, her thing is, it's part of our call to share with Jesus. Yes, we call that the co-redemptive mission. See, we, we are, Jesus, see, he wants our prayers, our sufferings. Padre Pio put it this way. He said, when they asked him to pray to God to take away his sufferings, he said, no, Jesus, he wants my suffering. Jesus, he needs my suffering. See, we, we say with St. Paul, he has that one beautiful saying, he says, I make up in my body, in my suffering, what is lacking in the suffering of Christ for the sake of his body. Okay? See, in other words, he wants us to join with him. And um, I, I use the example. Let me use one example. You know, you ever hear of um, matching funds? You know, you give a donation, somebody's going to match you. Okay. I'll give you an example of God's matching funds. Remember the little boy in the gospel who had the five loaves and the two fish? Okay. Now, I, I picture that little boy as chubby. You know why? Because everybody else was out of food. Mom packed a big lunch for Junior. He was all set for the long haul, right? Five loaves of bread, two fish. Okay. And, um, but he willingly gave them to Jesus. See, now, did Jesus need those loaves of bread to, to feed the crowd? No. He could have, if he could multiply it, he created it out of nothing, right? But he made himself dependent on what that little boy gave him because of the act of love involved. He generously surrendered what he had, see? And then Jesus gave matching funds. He fed 15,000 people with it. <laughs> see, that's matching funds. See, so in other words, the Lord wants our prayers and sacrifices because he needs them for the salvation of the world. And that's what Our Lady came to ask for. In fact, in the, I think it's the August apparition, this is one of the most, there's two very touching words that she said. She said, pray, pray very much. Many souls are lost from God because there is no one to pray and offer sacrifices for them. Okay, and that's why the children offered as many sacrifices as they could. And the second thing that she said the last thing of her, um, the, at the last apparition, uh, as the people were watching the sun, she said to the children, remember she appeared three times, she said, tell the people to stop offending my son. He's already been so grievously offended. So this is what we have to do. Live good and holy lives. That's the primary thing. 
to live our Christian vocation, whatever our vocation is in life, live a holy life. Offer your prayers, your sacrifices for intercession and reparation, and accept the sufferings that God will send you. Try to be patient with them, okay? And you will be joining with Jesus in the redemption of the world. And that's what this is all about, the redemption of the world. Peace will come. Our Lady promised it. I believe it. You know, let's do it. You know, let's not let our mother down. We have to do generously. So I thank you so much for coming. May I give you the blessing of St. Francis, okay? He took this from the book of Numbers. But bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he turn his face to you and have mercy on you. May he smile on you and grant you his peace. May the Lord bless you. And I ask the Blessed Mother, Mary, through her immaculate heart, she may place the mantle of her love and protection over each one of you and all your loved ones. May she draw you close to her immaculate heart. And may St. Joseph, the only saint seen at Fatima besides Our Lady, may he watch over you, protect you and your families, and watch over the church as he watched over the Holy Family. I bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We are in for a great treat tonight. On behalf of the Carmelite Sisters, we welcome you to St. Joseph Campus. Um, Tonight, we're going to hear um, Father Apostoli give us a presentation on his new book, Fatima for Today. So Father Andrew Apostoli is a member of the community of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, ordained a priest by Bishop Fulton J. Sheen in 1967. Father's been active in teaching, preaching retreats, and parish missions, and in giving spiritual direction. He is here currently leading our um, weekend women's silent retreats. He's an adjunct faculty member of St. Joseph's Seminary in Dunwoody, Yonkers, New York. And in his community, he has served as community servant and novice director. He was instrumental in 1988 in helping to found the community of the Franciscan Sisters of the Renewal, who are now flourishing. Currently, he is serving as a vice postulator for the cause of canonization for Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Father Andrew has been active over the years producing different TV series for EWTN. He has also been giving talks on various spiritual topics, many of which are available as videos, DVDs, CDs, and tapes. He has written seven books and three pamphlets, and a number of them are in the back for your, uh, if you're interested to purchase. So um, tonight we're honored this evening to have Father with us to share with us the urgent Marian message of hope. Please join me in welcome Father Andrew Apostoli. Well, thank you very, very much. I uh, want to express my gratitude to the sisters for arranging for this talk. There we go, okay. I'm very grateful for the sisters arranging for this talk because originally it was not scheduled. It was not in their their, um, regular booklet that they sent around. I got a copy of that and saw all the talks that they were having. But in the past, 
I, they've asked, asked me at times to give a talk during the evening. I would do these two weekends, and then they asked me to stay so that I could be available for that second weekend. And I do like a private retreat during this time. And um, uh, But I, I knew that I'd like to have an opportunity to speak to you about this very important message of Our Lady of Fatima. And so that's why... I uh, asked them if they could arrange this, so I'm very, very grateful, and I'm grateful for you being here tonight, okay? Maybe we could say a little prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, St. Joseph, and all holy angels and saints of God, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, I'd like to greet you with a little greeting of St. Francis. May the Lord give you his peace. You know, uh, uh, I'd like to tell you a little bit about how this book came to be. I write for a magazine called Envoy. I do a spiritual article for them uh, when every issue that they put out. And I had done a whole series on the works of mercy, the corporal works of mercy, you know, feeding the hungry and uh, sheltering the homeless and so on. And also the spiritual works of mercy, you know, to instruct the ignorant, counsel the doubtful, forgive sins, sinners, and so on. And um, I approached Ignatius Press, because they are the biggest Catholic press in the United States, and I always wanted a book by them. (laughs) So I approached them and asked them, would you publish this book on the works of mercy? And uh, they said, yes. Then they turned around and said to me, would you write a book on Fatima for us? And so I had worked with them on a DVD called The, The 13th Day. I don't know if you've had a chance to see that. It's a very simple presentation of the, the basic events of Fatima, not so much an explanation of the whole message, but the events that happened when Our Lady appeared. It didn't show anything of the angels' message and uh, appearances and so on. But they asked me to, to do that, and that's how this book came about. It took me about 14 months, and um, I just felt... You know, there were times I really wanted to give up writing it because it was very, very difficult. I uh, was having a hard time, and I was using this dragon voice uh, machine that you, you know, you, you speak into and, and supposed to type. Well, every time I said the name Jacinta, I got just into, you know, and <laughs> the dragon wasn't on the ball, I guess. And, uh, so it was, a hard, it was a hard thing to do. But I really felt what kept me going, I'll be honest with you, I felt the Blessed Mother wanted me to do it for her. And I said, for her, I will do it. You know, you can't, you can't let your mother down, right? You've got to do it when she asks for something. We've got to do it with all our heart. And I, I just feel that um, it became a great grace. I just got back from Fatima. In fact, one of the ladies here also was on our beautiful conference pilgrimage that we had there um, last Wednesday. I returned. We were there for a whole week. It was a wonderful conference. We had 150 people. I was amazed that we got that many to come. And... Um, we had the bishops, present and past of Fatima, come and speak, uh, the rectors of the shrine, and so on. And I learned an awful lot 
you know, uh, about Fatima. But I know that uh, many of the people got the book and were reading it, and uh, people have been telling me that it, they've learned a great, great deal. And it is important that we learn about this message. It's not per, per, passé, okay? Fatima is not something of the past. When Pope Benedict the, was in Fatima last May, he was there for the 10th anniversary of the, of the uh, beatification of little Jacinta and Francisco. Uh, he said, those who think that the prophetic message of Fatima is, is over are very mistaken. In other words, we have, we, it cannot end. The Fatima message cannot end until we come to the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And despite what you may hear from many sources, we are moving toward that. And uh, even the Pope even expressed the hope that maybe within the next seven years, which would put it 2017, 100 years from the apparitions of Our Lady, that we will see the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. A lot of things are happening in the world right now. Strange things, aren't they? The whole Arab world is in, in some kind of turmoil. The, we see these terrible events happening and natural catastrophes and earthquakes and so on, tsunamis and the like. And we wonder, what is happening? Um, I think what we need to do is take seriously this message and live it. I believe that, I've been convinced of this for years, that Fatima holds the key to the whole future. We must do what Our Lady said. And uh, I believe that Pope Benedict the, the 16th believes that also. You know, when he said, he said, learn the message of Fatima, live the message of Fatima, and spread the message of Fatima. In fact, one month after he became Holy Father, he was telling people to learn about Fatima. Remember, he was involved. He was deeply involved with the promulgation of the third secret there in the year 2000, when uh, the Pope beatified, remember, Blessed Jacinta, Blessed Francisco, I was at that Mass there in Fatima, a glorious moment, and um, the, the third secret was revealed. And uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, now Holy Father Pope Benedict, uh, had a lot to do with that. Let me explain to you how I approached this book, and I can kind of use that in the talk tonight. Then I'd like to open it up for questions. Uh, Sister, how long do we go? Do we go an hour? Or? Okay. If you're willing to sit there, I'll try my best to stand here, and uh, we'll do as much as we can, and I'd like to answer any questions that you may have. The way I approached this book was um, in uh, four things. I wanted to present the historical events of the apparitions of the angel. Remember, there was the angel of peace. He called himself also the angel of Portugal, who appeared three times to the children, okay, in 1916. Once in the, in the spring, once in the summer, once in the fall. All right, they, those apparitions prepared the children for Our Lady's coming, beginning on May, 5, uh, May 13, 1917. Okay, so I'd like to go through a little bit of the historical uh, events there and what happened. And then I'd like to, I, I also made it a point to explain the spiritual mess, meaning of the message of Our Lady. In other words, a lot of people hear, well, we've got to do this and that, and they don't know what it means. They don't know how to put it into practice. And particularly, of very great importance, is the Five First Saturdays devotion. We absolutely need this. 
And Sister Lucia used to say it was the most neglected part of the Fatima message. And if we want to see the conversion of the world, and not just Russia, even our own country, we have to do the Five First Saturdays devotion. Not enough people are doing it. Okay, Everybody was looking at the Pope that he made the consecration. Believe me, he made it. He was no, he's no fool, John, Pope John Paul II. And I'll explain to you how he did it. Okay, The third thing that it was important is, what is the message for our times? Okay, How is it relevant to us today? And I'd like to bring you up to date in things that are happening in Russia, which most people have no idea is going on. You know, but great things are happening in the, there with the faith in Russia. And finally, try to deal with the objections that were part of the, against the consecration and the releasing of the third secret. Okay? So I'd like to try to uh, deal with these questions. Now, the first thing I wanted to do in my book I presented was Mary's role, okay, in salvation history. Pope John Paul II said about a year or two before he became Holy Father, he said, we are presently in the greatest spiritual struggle the Catholic Church has seen in her 2,000-year history, and most Catholics are completely unaware that struggle is going on. He said, what's at stake is not one country or one area. He said, it's the whole entire Christian culture of, that has built up for 2,000 years. For example, the sanctity of life. Huh? That we recognize life as having a sanctity because it's God-given life from conception to natural death. That's, as you know, that is being challenged today in so many parts of the world. You know, abortion, euthanasia, assisted suicide, all the whole culture of death, as Pope John Paul called it. Secondly, there's also the, the dignity of marriage. Christian marriage, one man, one woman, husband and wife, okay, and uh, no other alternatives. No living together, no same-sex marriages. These things are challenging the Christian notion of marriage, okay? And, and finally, religious rights, freedoms that we have, the, the, the right to freely live our faith and our beliefs, okay? All of these things are certainly at stake. And Pope John Paul said, this is the greatest struggle the church has seen in 2,000 years. And you know why? Because nothing was so methodical, methodically against religion as the so-called isms of the 20th century. Communism, Nazism, fascism, okay? They actually were determined to destroy religion, particularly communism. That's the why Our Lady stressed that. You have to remember one thing about Russia. Russia was the, the country most dedicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary before the communists took over. No country in the world had more devotion to the Blessed Mother than, than Russia. It was called Holy Russia. All right? So it was very, very, uh, Our Lady had very great love for Russia. In fact, our Lord told Sister Lucia when the, the, the consecration was not made, when it should have been made by Pius the... Um, Pius XI, we'll talk about that. Why didn't he make it? We don't know. We, 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 can't give an, we can't give a decent explanation of why he didn't make the consecration. He should have. He had 10 years to do it, but he didn't do it. Okay? That allowed communism to spread. But our Lord told Sister Lucia, the Pope will make it, but he will make it late. Communism will spread, but Russia will be saved, he said, because Russia is in the hands of my mother. Okay? And Russia is being saved now. They're doing better than we are, believe me.
Okay. Now, let's look at Mary's role in Scripture and two great saints that talked about her at this particular time. We know that ever, I would say ever since the apparition of Our Lady of Guadalupe, 1531 in Mexico, We've had great apparitions of Mary, haven't we? We had, you know, we had the uh, Rue de Bac, you know, the miraculous medal in Paris to St. Catherine Labouret. We had uh, the apparitions of Our Lady to St. Bernadette there in Lourdes. Huh? St. Bernadette was very, very simple. You know, she was so simple that the Blessed Mother said to her, I want you to pray for the conversion of sinners. And she said to Our Lady, what does that mean? Our Lady said, just pray. Okay. So even the Blessed Mother wasn't going to try to explain it to Bernadette because she was so simple. Okay. Then, of course, came Fatima. And probably no apparition has ever received such papal attention. And remember, it's a private, it's a, it's a private revelation. It's not part of the revelation that ended with the Twelve Apostles. The death of the Twelve Apostles, public revelation ended. All other revelations, apparitions, and so on are private. And usually what they do is emphasize some teaching of the church that's being neglected or that's necessary for that time. Okay? So what happened was that um, the, uh, the, our, our, when our Blessed Lady appeared, you know, the Holy Fathers have been involved. Three popes have been there. Pope Paul VI went there as pope. He's the first pope to go there. Pope John, although Pope John the Twenty-Third went, but he wasn't pope; he was a cardinal at the time. Pope John Paul II went three times, okay, and Pope Benedict has been there once already, okay. So, uh, so much attention, and we had a consecration done by the pope and all the bishops of the world. You know, this is something that no other uh, apparition of Our Lady ever requested. And that's why we see this message as so important. In fact, what she predicted would happen has happened. Okay, we'll see that as we go through the, the revelation. So the first thing is, what is Mary's role then? Let's go to Scripture. You go to the first book in Scripture, the book of Genesis. Right after the fall of our first parents, what does God say to the serpent? I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. Between your offspring and hers, you shall strike at his heel and he shall crush your head. Okay? When St. Jerome translated that, he changed it. He said, you shall strike at her heel and she shall crush your head. And that's why we've always thought of Mary now. When you see the statue of the Immaculate Conception, the serpent under her feet crushing his head. Why? Because he didn't have for one moment any power or influence over the Blessed Mother. That's why he hates the Immaculate Conception so very much. Okay, and he hates Mary, of course. Um, so, beginning of Scripture, Mary and the serpent. What is the last book of, of, uh, of the Bible? Revelation. What do we see? St. John tells us, In the heavens opened, and I saw the Ark of the Covenant, okay, which is a symbol also to Blessed Mother, because it's a symbol of Christ. Huh? You, had the, you had the commandments there in the Ark. Moses put the commandments that God gave. He put the staff of Aaron, the priest, the high priest. Jesus was the high priest. Jesus was the lawgiver. And put the loaves of the manna. Remember, in that, in the Ark of the Covenant, Jesus gave us the Eucharist. Hmm. So, what happens? He sees the Ark of the Covenant, and then he said, a great sign appeared in the heavens. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars. One of the brothers in my community said, we got a 12-star general leading us. <laughs> they don't come that big in the U.S. Army. 
<laughs> so we got, the, we got the Blessed Mother leading us. Huh? So she's there, okay, 12 stars. And who is she opposing? What other sign appears immediately? The dragon, the red dragon. When Pope John Paul II gave a talk in Fatima in 1982, he practically identified the red dragon as communism. Okay? And she was the one who would oppose the dragon. Okay? So Mary's in this battle. And she has a very important role in it. Now, let's look at two saints who were very Marian and who sort of spoke about what was coming. One of them was St. Louis de Montfort. Okay, if you've ever read his beautiful book, the, you know, the uh, True Devotion to Mary. Pope uh, John Paul II said he had to read it a number of times, but he, he said to, he finally understood the depth of St. Louis de Montfort's teaching. That's where he got that big M, remember, on his coat of arms, and the words, totus tuus, I'm all yours. And, um, and so what did St. Louis de Montfort say? He said that in the, in the, in the coming generations, the Blessed Mother will be preparing her sons and daughters for a great struggle. He says it right there. You know, she's going to prepare her sons and daughters for this great struggle. This means you and me, okay, for a great struggle. Then, then we look at uh, St. Uh, John Bosco. He had prophetic dreams, remember? And uh, in one of them, he sees the, the, the church as a great ship surrounded by all these enemy ships that are trying to destroy it. And out of the sea come two columns. The top of the higher column was the Blessed Sacrament. The top of the lower column was the Blessed Mother. And St. John Bosco, who lived in the 1800s, said in the next century, so the 1900s, he said, I foresee some of the greatest battles in the church's history await her. And God is going to give only two means to save the church, devotion to the Eucharist, devotion to Mary. Huh? John Paul, Pope John Paul II, into the third millennium, remember, he wrote a letter in 2002 about the rosary of the Blessed Mother. By the way, the request for the rosary to be said every single day was the only thing Our Lady repeated in all six apparitions, to pray the rosary every day. She said the rosary is powerful enough to stop world wars, bring world peace, convert sinners. The rosary, Padre Pio said, was his weapon. <laughs> right? He used to say, is there any prayer more beautiful than the prayer Our Lady herself gave us than the rosary? He said, always pray the rosary. He said, the Blessed Mother gave us the rosary, but the devil's always trying to take it away from us. Don't let him take your rosary away from you. Pray it every day as Mary requested for the peace of the world and the conversion of sinners. They go together, by the way. With the conversion of sinners, we will have peace. Because War comes, you know, as a punishment for sin. But little Jacinta said that. She said, Our Lady told her, wars are the punishment of sin. And so, um, so, so say, John Bosco has this dream, and uh, he says that, you know, he, we know that the, through devotion to the Eucharist and through devotion to Our Lady, we will, the church will be renewed, and the church will become stronger in overcoming her enemies, hopefully converting them and bringing world peace. So Mary is in this battle, okay? Now, let's move to Portugal, okay, in 1915. Remember, the First World War was going on. The Pope at the time was Pope Benedict XV. 
He tried everything he could diplomatically to bring the countries together, but there was such bitter nationalism and hatred of one country against another, he couldn't get anywhere. They called World War I the war to end all wars. Unfortunately, it didn't. And, um, and so when he tried desperately to get the nations to talk about peace um, and was not successful, he said, there is someone who will listen. It began in Novena to the Blessed Mother, okay, in May 1917, on the eighth day of the Novena, which was a Sunday that year, it was May 13th, uh, it was, uh, May 13th, by the way, is the, was traditionally the feast of Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament. See, Our Lady and the Eucharist come together very much at Fatima. And so, um, he began that Novena, and on the, the 13th of May, 1917, the Blessed Mother made her first apparition. Now, I told you that there were three apparitions by the angels. Let's look at those. For uh, Even before I get to that, I just want to give you one little thing about background here. In, fa in Portugal, they used to have a Christian king. He was killed. Okay? The Masons took over. They were atheistic. They were anti-religious. They were persecuting the church. And the president, the Masonic uh, president of Portugal said in two generations there will be nothing left of Catholicism in Portugal. Boy, God must have laughed at that. Huh? You, Mother Teresa used to say, you want to make God laugh? Just tell him your plans. <laughs> he must have had a big laugh over that one. <laughs> and, um, and so, um, so the, the Masons were, you know, in control, persecuting the church and so on. All right? and, so, and that's why later on in Russia, the communists, the Bolsheviks, took, you know, they took the atheistic doctrine and over, overthrew, you know, the royal family there, the, the Russian family, Nicholas II, and executed his family, and then the, the communist revolution took place. Um, okay, so, so that's the background there, okay? The, the, war, the war, war, world, I'm sorry, the world is at war, okay, World War One. About 20 million people died in that war. Okay, and later on, right after that, was a plague that took another 20 million lives. In fact, that's when Jacinta and Francisco died. They died of that plague right after World War I. Uh, they said if World War I had gone on for another maybe four or five months, they said half of Europe would starve to death. That's how desperate it was. Okay, so Our Lady, I uh, said so the angel came. Now, the first apparition took place in a little place where the, uh, the children used to bring their sheep. Okay, remember, J Lucia was the oldest of them, Lucia de Santos. She was 10 years old. Okay, then she had her two little cousins. They were brother and sister. Francisco was nine. Uh, he was very shy, very quiet. He loved to play the flute. One thing he loved to do for his little sister Jacinta, who was only seven, she loved to dance. So he, he would play his flute and she would dance. And they loved to be with their cousin Lucia. So that's how the three of them palled around. And they, they both took care of the flocks of sheep of their families. So they bring them together up to a place called the Cabezo. And um, they were grazing them this one day, and all of a sudden they, they thought it was a lightning, and, and the next thing they saw, this young man, they described him about looking about 14, 15 years old, full of light, and he was an angel. And he told them not to be afraid. And he taught them a prayer called the, 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 the pardon prayer. My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love you. 
And I beg pardon for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love you. I think we have copies of that for you, I think, as you when you leave. All right? The prayers of Fatima. So he told them to pray this, okay? Well, they were little kids. You know, they liked their games. And they used to, especially Francisco, he liked to say the short rosary. Hail Mary, Holy Mary. Hail Mary, Holy Mary. You know, and, and so, so what happened was um, in the summer, the, the angel came again. They were near this uh, well. You can go visit the well there, and uh, it's right down from Lucia's house. And the children were playing their games. And the angel says, what are you doing? He startled them. What are you doing? You're supposed to be praying. And this really affected them. They really got into praying. They said, he said, Jesus and Mary have great designs for you. See, so they became, they really became very prayerful. And uh, the third time he appeared, back at the Cabezo, where they had had the first apparition. In fact, there's a little little shrine there now of statues of the children. And what it was, the angel came, and the little children were already praying. By the way, this is interesting. When he taught them to pray, he would kneel and bow his head to the ground. Now, I don't suggest you do that. That was a sign of reverence, okay? I mentioned that in my book, too. Most people can't handle that. You might not get up, okay? Uh, you try to, you know, put your head down. All your blood will be rushing to your head and, you know, uh, what have problems. Um, so, but reverence, see? But they, isn't that that's the way the Muslims pray, right? With their heads bowed like that. Okay, so the little children were praying like that in the cabezo. Now, remember, they became very fervent after the second uh, apparition where the angel kind of scolded them a little bit. And all of a sudden, they look up and there's this light and the angel appears with the Eucharist. He's holding the chalice with his left hand and the host is suspended above it. And then and there's precious blood dripping from the host into the chalice. And then he leaves it like that and... Uh, and he comes with the children and they bow down and he teaches them that other prayer, you know, called the angel's prayer, which is of adoration and reparation. Okay. The reparation for the outrages, the sacrileges and the indifferences. Outrages would be like, you know, when the, the, the Eucharist is desecrated or these uh, satanic people get in the black masses, they use the Eucharist and desecrate the Eucharist. Um, Sacrileges would be knowingly receiving Holy Communion, immortal sin, when a person is not ready to receive communion. That's offensive to God. So to make reparation for these things. And then finally, to make reparation for, for the uh, indifference of people, the neglect in respect and love for the Eucharist. So the angel taught them that. Then he, Lucia is the only one who had received her first Holy Communion. Uh, she used to go to the religious instructions when she was only six years old. She would accompany one of her older sisters. And um, the, she, would, she learned all about the faith. And when it came time for communion, they told her, you can't receive. She was so heartbroken. And she went to another priest and she told him, I know all the, you know, the catechism and everything. And he tested her and she did. So he went to the pastor and said, she could receive. She understands. And uh, so she received communion. And, you know, we visited the church there in Fatima. Uh, and uh, on the wall, there's a statue there. And Lucia said the day she received her first communion, the statue smiled at her. You know, so interesting. Um, so anyway, the, the, the angel gave the host to Lucia because she had received her first communion. The other two children hadn't received her first communion, but he let them drink the precious blood. Okay. And 
So they had a great devotion for the Eucharist. They loved the Eucharist. Lucia nev- uh, Jacinta never received the Eucharist again. Francisco did. They allowed him to receive once before he died. See, these facts, by the way, of those apparitions of the angel were not revealed till about the 1940s. And we're talking, they, they died in 1919, around that time. So uh, until these facts of the angel, they, nobody knew that they had received that, that Holy Communion, see. Now, that set the stage. One of the things the angel taught them to do was make sacrifices. And Lucia said, well, what is a sacrifice? What can we do? And she said, well, you can make a sacrifice of anything. If you make a morning offering, uh, offering up everything you do during the day, that's a sacrifice. Offer that as a little offering to, to Jesus. And she taught them, a, they, they her on, learned a little prayer uh, from the Blessed Mother. Uh, Jesus, this is for love of you and reparation for the offenses against the Immaculate Heart of Mary and for the conversion of sinners. That's the sacrifice prayer, see? And Our Lady was going to ask for prayer and sacrifice for the conversion of sinners. Very essential. Okay. Now, the children were taught a great generosity. So when the Blessed Mother came, remember the angel had told them, Jesus and Mary have great, they have great designs for you. Okay. So in May 13th, let's go back to that. Okay. They were taking care of the sheep. They thought lightning was coming. They were ready to go back to their homes. But yet they didn't see any, they didn't see any sign of rain or anything. Then all of a sudden the Blessed Mother appeared. They described her as a beautiful woman. They asked her where she was from, and she said, I'm from heaven. And uh, she didn't reveal who she was until the October apparition. She told the children, I want you to come back here every month for the next five months up until October on the 13th of each month, and then I will tell you who I am. And then the children asked if they were going to go to heaven. And by the way, one of the interesting things that they asked about purgatory, uh, two little, two young girls who had died. One was 16, one was 18 or 20. Uh, the first one, Our Lady said, was already in heaven. The second one, and this just startles a lot of people, she said, she will be in purgatory till the end of the world. You know, kind of wonder what was she doing. Uh, she, at least she's going to make it. You know, she's not going to be lost in hell. But she may have been living a bad life, but had the grace of a deathbed conversion and didn't have time to make up for her sins. But that's what Our Lady had told them, that purgatory is a real thing. Huh? So uh, that was the first message. And Our Lady asked them, will you accept sufferings, you know, for, you know, uh, from God? for the conversion of sinners and peace in the world. And they said, yes. See, they became very generous, remember, through those sacrifices. And um, for Lucia, her family didn't even believe that what she was saying about the the apparition. They thought she made the whole story up. The mother almost didn't believe until she saw the miracle of the son. And even then she had some doubts. So Lucia suffered very greatly from her family. Jacinta and Francisco, their father said, look, if my daughter and my son said they saw a woman in the, in the cova, they saw a woman because they don't lie. You know, that's what he went on, you know. And um, so, and, you know, that next month, Lucia didn't even want to go back. That's how distraught she was. People were making fun of her, her friends and kids, and, you know, people living in a village there, you know, were mocking her, you know. And uh, so finally she did make it back on the 13th of June, which in Portugal is a very big beast, St. Anthony. 
See, remember, St. Anthony was not born in Padua. He was born in Lisbon, and that's in Portugal. So the Portuguese claim him as their saint, and they call him St. Anthony of Lisbon. Okay? Um, the Italians call him St. Anthony of Padua. When, the Pope, when Pope John Paul went there, he did an interesting thing. He said to the people, he was talking to all these Portuguese. So he says the first thing he says, well, St. Anthony is not St. Anthony of Padua. Well, they all cheered because that's what they've been saying. You know? Then he says, St. Anthony is not St. Anthony of Lisbon. And there was silence. And then he goes, he goes St. Anthony was St. Anthony of the whole world. You know, then they all cheered. You know, 